Hi, my name is Tony. And I'm Chris. And we love pop culture. We often find ourselves discussing film, music, literature, and more, going down the rabbit hole of how everything is connected. We want to share those moments in pop culture that are seemingly unrelated, but connected by just a few links. Welcome to the Pop Culture Connection. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Pop Culture Connection. This is Tony. And I'm Chris. We're going to explore two things that you wouldn't think are connected in any way, but end up having some links in between them. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about Meatloaf and The Godfather. Meatloaf, the, the singer, not the food product. Both are good. Both are good. I'll take I'll take either. If you eat meatloaf while listening to meatloaf, uh, I know he's not for everyone. I'm a, I'm always I've always been a big fan. Well, um, I guess that's with anything, but uh, I don't see how you couldn't be a fan of the dish or the musician. That's true. So before we get into that, though, we'll kind of talk about stuff that's going on. Something, a few things that are intriguing this week in pop culture. I don't know what it says about our country and our government when more people are trusting Dog the Bounty Hunter to find someone over the FBI. Well, he's a bounty hunter. It is his job. He is doesn't have the same rules to play by. That's right. He, he doesn't play by any rules. Not even his own. Not even his own rules. He's the dog. I just think it's interesting that that's become a thing now. And according to him, uh, he's very close to to uh, getting Brian Laundrie, which I hope he's found alive. No, we'll see. I mean, at this point, he's most likely gator feed, but uh, that might be the best outcome. Possibly. I do know that he also had some experience in camping and roughing it and being out in the wilderness. So he could have found a way to survive and Rumor has it he's up uh, near the Appalachian Trail right now, which he could have found a fate worse than Gators. With that's true. There I've are seen, people. I've seen Deliverance. There are people who uh, will make you wish they were Gators in all parts of the country, but that's a good one not to be from out of town. Yes, but dog's gonna find him, and because he's that good, and it's in no way. Uh, a publicity stunt to stay relevant. Not at all. Why would you even do that? Right. Um, and then Brian Laundry is one thing. And speaking of terrible people, I also saw that uh, Alex Jones found guilty of defamation, calling Sandy Hook a hoax um, after failing to provide any information of substance to support his claim. Well, I mean, why do you have to back your claims up? You shouldn't it's just have way to. way easier to say them and just... To shout them yeah, if you're him. Just yell them with conviction, and that's really all you, you can do. Take some silver pills and vitamin K and scream about gay frogs and hoaxes, and that's, that's what America's all about. Right. True or not, it's at the end of the day, it's all about, did we learn something? No. No. We don't have to learn anything. Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, the more he gets pushed against, the more he claims he's just a performance artist and doesn't expect anyone to really listen to him until his show when he says everyone has to listen to me. Now, this is interesting because is this something that's going to be... I mean, does he have to now admit that this happened? I mean, the type of person he is, I doubt that's going to happen, but... Uh, it will be something to watch to see if he has to come clean, so to speak. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to end up, but he's. I, I can't see him owning up to really anything. It's just not him. Uh, but it's not all crazy people and murderers and scumbags on the radio. Not uh, all. Not all. Uh, I did see a few trailers come out for... Some TV shows, uh, including the new season of Stranger Things, yeah, which looked interesting. It's coming up. Bringing it back in time a little bit. Even Stranger. More things that are stranger than the other things. 
I think it's called. Of course, with the delay in production, I mean, these kids are going to be graduated from college by the time. Right. It's going to be like later seasons of 90210 when they're like 50. Yeah. It's not really about kids anymore. Well, they were were close to 50 when they started that. Right. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. It does does look really good. I'm interested to see where they go. And then uh, I saw the trailer for the live action Neil Gaiman Sandman. That's going to be on Netflix. Which that should be interesting. Looks very, very cool. Um, looks like they're starting right at the beginning. Um, in the very first issues and graphic novel of Sandman, um, based on what I just saw from that little teaser, the actor who's playing Morpheus or Sandman looks exactly like like how you would expect. So mm-hmm. um, that's one thing that I didn't ever think would be able to be brought to any kind of screen but with neil gaiman being involved in it directly then i have faith that it'll be pretty good it'll be something to check out uh and then finally other things uh more netflix stuff promise that we're not endorsed by netflix in any way uh, just netflix if you hear this we might we'll we'll talk they've maybe, got the money maybe we could be in in uh connection with each other but uh, they requ- acquired the rights to a collection of from Roald Dahl. Um, oh yes, we're going to be so we're call for him in a future episode. He has got some interesting connections in his life and an interesting life in general. But uh, multiple live action and animated shows from Roald Dahl, including a new adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I believe George's Marvelous Marvelous Medicine, uh, Matilda. Mm-hmm. The BFG. He was one of my favorite children's authors. He was, yeah, he kind of hit on everything. Definitely an influence. You could tell on J.K. Rowling as well. Some of the way she wrote Harry Potter was very much a almost a Roald doll story yeah. of the kid with shitty adults mm-hmm. learning that he has got something magical and going into this world. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It could be could be very cool, um, but yeah, we'll see. What do you got, Chris? Anything going on in the world of pop culture? That I you rely on you to be my eyes and ears as I dwell in the subterranean. Uh, Homesick. Li- literally, games. we're in the basement here, and uh, I only come out to check the mail and uh, re up my supplies. And that's all right. I'm happy to do it. I'd like to check out what's going on. Uh, new animated Super Mario Brothers movie. Really? Will it be as good as Bob Hoskins it's and John be, Leguizamo? It's going to be uh, hard to do. How can you top that? With the ghost of Dennis Hopper, maybe. Remember when Dennis Hopper made that movie? I don't think Dennis Hopper. I don't think he know. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Time will tell. Who knows? It could end up being a hit. I've been wrong many times before. Yeah, they should have learned their lesson, but I guess with the success of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, why not take a shot? So, moving on into the meat, no pun intended, of today's episode. Michael, more dependent, Mark Born Marvin Lee a day, and then later changed the name to Michael Lee a day. Is probably better known by his stage name, Meatloaf. He got that from his high school football coach poking fun at his weight. Mm-hmm. He is a bigger guy. Some people even just shortened it to Meat. He does go by Meat sometimes. Probably one of the more unique rock and roll pop artists of our time. Uh, definitely had, plays a character. Very mm-hmm. dramatic, operatic performances. Have you ever seen him live? No. I had gone when Bad Out of Hell 2, that album came out. Early 90s. Early 90s and so on. And it was mind-blowing performance, great show. And then saw him a few years back. Um, you know, he's getting older. He had voice surgery. Uh, it's just, it was still a good show, but he's, you know, he's not a young guy anymore and he can't do what he once did. Yeah. So what is 
what is here? I know we've talked about it before, but your connection with the loaf. Well, it was um, one of the first compact discs that my parents bought. I made a CD player. Bad out of hell. Bad out of hell. Uh, and my mom had three CDs. It was Culture Club, Melissa Etheridge, and Bad Out of Hell by Milo. The Holy Trinity. The Holy of Trinity mom music. of mom music. And so we got a whole new stereo system, the whole bit, speakers, and with the CD player built in. And uh, we would uh, rock that mother uh, quite a bit, and especially during times of uh, when you need an energy boost. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because I remember our family getting the first CD player sometime in the mid to late 80s, and that was one of the first CDs that my mother picked up. Uh, only had a few. I believe Dire Straits was on that list, but uh, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, was a huge, huge album I th in our household. Yeah, it was um, on heavy rotation, probably because we only had a few albums, but at the same time uh, became very familiar with it. That opening uh, piano part it just gets me gets me going every time. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. It's, it's definitely a, I have a, a time of year, actually this time of year, the fall. We're in just in October now, and there's something about the cool, crisp days and evenings that gets me in the mood to to rock out to that album as you pining for some meatloaf and it's definitely one that i i still have on rotation uh so i was kind of looking at it up. i do know kind of a bit the history of the album um just kind of going reading through so a couple interesting things um because of the content because it's a very theatrical it's very different than uh, most pop and rock at the time uh, had some difficulty getting the album produced at first. Uh, luckily, Todd Rundgren, yeah. who had met up with Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, uh, he agreed to not only produce it, but agreed to also play guitar with uh, other members of his band and on the album. They killed it. And that's where you get that awesome motorcycle-sounding guitar from Todd Rundgren in there, but he was a big part of it. And the, another part, it wasn't really doing anything until Cleveland Station WMMS that gave it radio time, uh, which is then when it really kicked off. Broke a lot of music in those days. Yes. Yeah. yeah. MMS was definitely one of those stations that uh, gave a lot of artists at that time a uh, some playtime and you know rush meatloaf springsteen springsteen the you know the program directors at wmms and here in cleveland really knew what was on the uh the edge here and wanted to give it some some air and ended up becoming huge huge artists and huge hits because of that yeah it's one of those records that producers in the 70s were kind of moving towards this we know uh, what the kids want to hear, and uh, so nobody wanted to produce it. And once finally somebody took a chance and it got out there and started getting picked up, it became one of the more popular albums of that decade. So shows what the people in charge, these gatekeepers, really know. All right, and that's I think we talk about radio on a lot of our episodes here. Uh, we've mentioned college radio before. Um, but it, it was a very different time then where that could make or break a, uh, an artist. Yeah. And very fortunate that we had those stations who took a chance and really kind of found things that were outside of the norm and gave it a shot because it ended up being, again, like you said, a huge, huge album. Um, as of 2009, Bad Out of Hell still sells an estimated 200,000 copies annually. Jeez, and had really? stayed on the charts for over nine years. Uh, it is one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's also one of my Desert Island discs. Well, it uh, 
it does take you on a roller coaster ride of emotion. There is a lot going on in it. Not truly a concept album. In a way, there's some connection between and theme across all the songs, but not, I wouldn't say, truly a, a concept album. Yeah, I guess the concept of the concept album really had, uh, I mean, when did that really take off? Sometime around Pink Floyd? I think um, that as far as truly, because even Sgt. Pepper, yeah. I mean, even going back to Zappa Freak Out, sure. it's a very loose idea of what a concept is. Right. The concept is a freak out, which is in and not on of itself is not, is erratic. Undefined. And undefined. You know, Sergeant Pepper was the first kind of like, hey, maybe this can be a thing. But I don't think it was until Pink Floyd that truly maybe the Who mm-hmm. as well, who took it and made it into a, a full story or yeah. It feels like a concept album, though, even though, like you said, yeah, there are some songs that were recorded later or some songs that they had for quite a while. But uh, just based on the production and the overall feel of the album, it all feels cohesive. Right. Um, and that the other thing I saw, which is just mind blowing. So this is as of December of last year, 2020. Uh, it had spent a total of 522 weeks in the top 200 UK chart, which makes it the longest stay in any music chart in the world. Although the published chart contains just 100 positions. Uh, but regardless, that's that's unheard of. Yeah, and what is it about the English? They just, um, they kind of adopt these American groups that we just, like, yeah, we're done with that. And the English uh, kind of give them a, a life after their American death. No, that's good. And I don't know if that has um, anything to do with his acting career. He's been in quite a few movies. You mm-hmm. might know him from Rocky Horror Picture Show before mm-hmm. uh, this album came out. He was in Meat. Uh, he was in Meatloaf, the movie starring Meatloaf. <laughs> he was in Fight Club. Yes. His name is Robert Paulson. Iconic scene. And uh, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I do yeah, completely agree that uh, there is these what we might call a one off or a few hit wonder that ends up having this completely different life in the UK. I wonder if that goes both ways. I mean, I know a lot of English bands are very popular here, obviously, um, going all the way back to prior to the British invasion. But uh, I wonder if there's a lot of bands in England who nobody really listens to that a lot of uh, Yanks are still keen on. I hear they're not big fans of Beatles over there. That's what I heard, too. Yeah, that's an interesting question. If you're from the UK and you happen to listen to this and you know, let us know. Or even if you don't know. Let us know what you don't know. So it is, again, it's an iconic album of the time. It's it's so different than most other things you get. It contains teenage death slash crash songs. It has somber ballads, a lot of angst. But there's one that kind of stands out. Probably the most known song from the album still played at weddings and parties at all time is paradise by the dashboard light oh i thought you were gonna say two out of three that's another one that's been huge not not really big at weddings i wouldn't hope so that well even this one if you listen when you listen to the lyrics i remember hanging out and we're at a, a bar one night someone put this up paradise by the dashboard light on the jukebox and had a friend who was kind of like oh this song i haven't even it's just such a long song. And I was like, have you listened to the lyrics? And then I kind of like pointed out what they were saying at the end. He's like, holy shit. Like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's funny. It's not something you would expect to be in a love song. Yeah. Leave it to an American audience to not really pay attention to what is being said in the song. Right. It's eight minutes long, over eight minutes long for, and for a single, especially at that time was sure. unheard of still is. Um, I know a lot of people give 
Meatloaf songs crap, Jim Steinman songs crap for being long, but uh, it definitely tells a story yes. within itself, too. Uh, so I know, I think most people know Paradise by the Dashboard Light pretty well. Again, it's uh, probably between that and two out of three ain't bad. One of the more popular songs from that album. What's uh, your favorite on the album? That's a hard question. Well, I haven't heard that one. That's Oh, it's on the bonus disc. That's a hard question. Uh, it start out, starts out with like a motorcycle. No. <laughs> I love, I love Bad Out of Hell. Again, like you said, that opening is just amazing. Um, and the whole way through it, the story that it tells. Um, but I'm also a huge fan of For Crying Out Loud. It's just a solid... A little bit, you know, still longer song, but just a beautiful, beautiful song. Lyrically, there's nothing like it. Mine's uh, all revved up. That's interesting. That's not, that's never been one of my, one of my favorites. The whole, again, the whole album is something I would take if I had only five to choose from is one I would take. But I kind of, it kind of depends on what mood I'm in as which sure what i'm into uh paradise i was i would skip for a while just because you heard it so much i wouldn't say it doesn't it doesn't fit because it does it's a very teenage relationship passionate early young love there's nothing in the world but you all around um but yeah i would still skip it because it was over to me you know played on the radio all the time when there's other stuff on the Mm -hmm. album to play yes have you gotten uh, your wife to uh, warm up to it yet? I have not. I don't think that's going to happen. There's certain things. Uh, Meatloaf uh, lost Clockwork Orange, which I've just uh, accepted defeat. That that's mm. not going to be a thing we ever experience together. But that's all right. Not only does she not like Meatloaf, but she seems uh, Ang- op- openly hostile. She's angry that Meatloaf exists. Yes. <laughs> which is funny to me. Well, you remember the uh, email I sent you about uh, the mental states of people who don't like meatloaf. Yes, according to Jim Steinman himself, so take it with a grain of salt. Right. uh, According to him, they did, uh, in the UK, psychological studies that show that if uh, you don't like meatloaf, you're probably an antisocial person with uh, mental problems. That's not to say anything about Tony's lovely wife. No, I know that... uh... She is a beautiful, wonderful person. I love her dearly. That is just one thing that we do not have in, in common is uh, our feelings about the loaf. I don't think it's going to end up in divorce. That's just something we don't share. That would be, um, be I, the guess, fir- I guess you'd have to, to write into him to let him know. Get enjoy that. It'd be the first time in history. Maybe, maybe not. not. Yeah, maybe not. that's a good it's point. Happened a lot. That's a good point. Yeah, um, but I was thinking about it. You now the the humor in Paradise. I don't know if there's any other songs on the album that has that kind of biting satire humor to it. Yeah, so it's a little bit different. But there's also something that's not in any other song. Break in the vocals where. A baseball announcer is excitedly describing a player who's making his way around the bases in a not-so-subtle insinuation of two teenagers, quote-unquote, rounding the bases with each other. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one of the first uh, wide uses of a sample, um, and it works perfectly within the context of the, the breakdown and then the build-up. Um, so... It, Iconic. Yeah. You remember being a teenager and getting to second base or third base. And that was the language at the time. I wasn't very good at baseball or with the ladies. No. No, I just remember hearing about it. Rarely would I even get to bat. So when I did, I was like, just enjoy this. You played played a lot of T-ball. Right. But it is a thing that people said. I don't know if people still say it, if that's still a thing that people say. Let us know if you're younger than us. What's the sport now that describes uh, sexual euphemisms? Uh, But 
yeah, there was definitely, and I know that, you know, it was recorded, They but they had someone well-known for uh, being a sports announcer and baseball announcer. Uh, very well-known, Phil Rizzuto, spent his entire year with, entire career with the Yankees. He was a former shortstop, nicknamed the Scooter. Um, and after playing for the Yankees, he went on to become their announcer, another yeah, 40 years as an announcer for the team mm-hmm. and one of the most well-known voices in baseball outside of Vince Scully or Harry Carey. Yeah. And uh, he played for the Yankees. Yes. Oh. It doesn't seem like in the after the Second World War during the 50s that at some point everybody played for the Yankees. This is a I think it passage. was yeah, you had to. That's how you got your American citizenship. We played for at least a, a season. Such a huge part of that of that team, part of that city. If I know that someone exists in sports, they're pretty well known because I don't know anything at all about most sports. But I know who Phil Rizzuto is. Yeah, you know of Babe Ruth and Tom Brady. Right. And I know Shoeless Joe Jackson Shoeless Joe. because I've seen Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, LeBron came over your house one time. Oh, yeah, but we know LeBron. Yeah, we live here. So LeBron visits us every, you know, makes an annual stop at everyone's house. But you're not familiar with his work. Baseball? (laughs) Yeah, if I know who someone is in the world of sports, they're pretty well known. And I know that, you know, for 40 years, Phil Rizzuto was such a big part of the commentary portion of baseball and even before that was a very good player well known um and again you know when it comes to sports announcers i think there's only really a handful that you can name as being you know at least nationwide you know that is and you know that voice very distinctive voice Mm -hmm. he had known for saying uh, unbelievable and do you see that and also had you can find them online i'll try to find a clip to play here uh there were also really funny moments where he had a like almost like a stream of consciousness conversation with himself mm-hmm. about the play now a drive to deep left center and that ball is out of here no it's not yes it is no what happened he caught it you, you gotta be i know i gotta get these glasses changed steve is short and i didn't believe him Oh, I got to see that again before I declare it. Now, look at Stanley looking back. I'm doing the same thing. Watch this. Here he goes. Son of a gun. Hit the fence and held on. At the end of seven, it's the Yankees four and the Orioles two. So you can find those on YouTube or SoundCloud, and they're absolutely hilarious. Just to see him kind of forget that he's commentating a baseball game it's like watching it with your your grandfather yeah it's pretty funny oh and he was a radio guy so let's have that connection from meatloaf and kind of breaking on the radio not much well stuff still plays on the radio but it's not as as relevant or big as it once was but sports on the radio especially up until the 50s when people could afford a tv so that's all you heard Right. Um, no, that's a good point. So a city's sports announcer uh, would be a very well-known personnel. They still are, but even more so in those days. I mean, who here in Cleveland, I don't really care for watching uh, the Indians, soon to be Guardians. Um, but I like to listen to Todd Hamilton call the games on the radio. And even, you know, I still, you know, know Herb Score from years ago was another one that was pretty well known. I know my my whole family's the same way. When they were watching a game, they were turning the volume on the TV off mm-hmm. and listen to the radio. Yeah, uh, like it's it feels more like being at the ballpark. Yep. Than watching a TV. Not to say television announcers. I I have no frame of reference. Don't listen to me. I'm not saying anything about the announcers on television. Bob Costas. Don't come at me mm-hmm. like before. Right again, yeah. But I think that's a good point. I wonder why, if it is because it's a a staple of the sport, or if there's something to it about. It's a constant in this uh, crazy 
chaotic world so people can hold to that and it's uh provides a sense of security i think you know he's referenced phil rizzuto's referenced um some things there's a scene in billy madison specifically mentioning the spelling of phil rizzuto rizzuto Rudolph? Those are Z's. They look like R's to me. That's not fair. Rizzuto is not a word. He's a baseball player. You're cheating. Would you like to try the word buzz? Um, and then, but I think the strangest reference that I can think of to him is a episode of Seinfeld where part of the plot revolves around a keychain of his head. Yes. I'd love to have a keychain like that. Uh, so Seinfeld is uh, something that you and I have talked about. One of our favorite shows. Certainly. As far as shows at that time, you ran nine year, nine seasons, I think. Yep. And I can't think of anything else like it that had that feel to it between the writing, the writing from Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. Um, we've talked about this before. Larry David just has that sense of what can I do? What do I do that pisses people off? And do people notice it? What pisses me off? And do people notice when I do it as much as I notice? It? Right. Yeah. A social, there's social awkwardness. And then there's Larry David. And he's got it down to us. So when you look at his other show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I mean, he just takes everything they did on Seinfeld and takes it even further, which is saying something. Um, but I know there's people who just don't like that, that uncomfortable, like cringe comedy. Right. But that's that's where it is. When you look at a character like George Costanza, who dropped his Phil Rizzuto keychain in a pothole that had been filled in and has to jackhammer it out. Hijinks ensue. They if do. If you haven't seen it. Pretty well known episode, I think. I think everyone has a favorite. There's the more popular episodes like the Soup Nazi and the contest. Uh, for me, Seinfeld, it'll always be the Kenny Rogers Roasters mm -hmm. is my favorite episode just because of how bizarre <laughs> it is. And Jerry and Kramer switching apartments mm -hmm. and kind of taking on each other's personalities. Mr. Marbles <laughs> was a great little revelation of what it's life like in kramer's apartment mm -hmm. which is not shown very often yeah you only kind of got glimpses of little things there's like weird stuff going on at all times but and to, it was almost always different right every time it was shown he was constantly changing it or adding something levels levels uh, but yeah i think kenny rogers i we've probably discussed this in you know together but what would you say is your favorite Ooh. Much like uh, my meatloaf question to you, that's... It is tough. That's hard to say. Um, I would... I'm, I'm hard-pressed. Let me think about it. All right. We'll, I'll we'll come back to that at some point. <laughs> at some point. Uh, there's a lot of classics. I, you know, I think Screen Rant and Entertainment Weekly and all those other entertainment networks and channels have done some kind of breakdown of the best episodes. Mm. Top 100, top 20... You know, the contest is always, again, always at the yeah, top. Yeah, it's not my favorite episode. It's a good episode. It's great. It's amazing that they got away with that on network television at that time. Uh, the Chinese Restaurant. Not my favorite episode. Uh, well, you know, a good bottle episode. Um, not a lot of shows had the balls to spend a half hour with an episode about waiting for a table at a Chinese it's restaurant. a gamble. Right. Which a lot of those were. A lot of those were the network luckily someone believed in the show and said this will work because on paper probably looked like who would watch this yeah and uh nobody really did at first yeah i know the first season was only wasn't a full run um i know larry david when they told him they wanted to pick up for more episodes was upset about it because it meant pressure to write more he's gonna have up. to work right not a fan of having to do that, but it is. I mean, it, it maintains it's it remains a, a classic sitcom and one of the best 
sitcoms of all time on television. Yeah, it's entrenched in culture now. And I think even 40, 50 years from now, much like you still see the Honeymooners, it'll still be airing somewhere. Though I've heard that it doesn't very do very well with uh, the younger generations now. There are things well, that what does? they find offensive or... I don't know if it's taking offense or the the refer- the frame of reference isn't there of not knowing that world and that life and you know everything's it's very different than it was in the 90s oh yeah a lot of seinfeld episodes could have been resolved with a cell phone call they could have <laughs> but we didn't have those humor that uh really nobody found themselves in that situation right yeah you could universally understand it. That was the genius of the show. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that'll be something that will end up, but I would hope that it still finds its place as influential and True. hilarious and important. Yeah. Yeah, that can't be denied, regardless of if it gets canceled or not. When you compare it to other shows that were on at the time, you know, the other leading show was Home Improvement. Very different style and feeling yes uh, seinfeld wasn't allowed on in my house along with the simpsons because he's jewish well because he was something i think it was from because he was a new yorker uh no it's we just my my family had very different styles of humor uh home improvement however was watched uh, weekly yes religiously i remember watching home improvement my parents thought it was that's good you can watch that and it was my I believe my aunt who first introduced us to Seinfeld um, and we talked last week about UHF. Yeah. Um, and then from Transylvania 65,000, we knew my sister and I knew who Michael Richards was. It was like, if he's in it or watching it, he's like, I knew of Jerry Seinfeld um, because we watched a lot of stand up comedy. So obviously, I knew who that was. Yeah, I had no idea. And I think we recognized Elaine from. Day by Day, old sitcom, 80s sitcom. Oh, you know the deep cuts. Watched a lot of TV growing up. The Latchkey Kid. Gotcha. So, TV was my... It's made you into the man you are today. Right. You wouldn't be hearing this. So, thank or blame TV and my parents, but this is what you get. Yeah, I, so I recognized some of the cast, and then right away, I think the first episode I saw was Newman trying to get out of the speeding ticket. Mm-hmm. And Crazy Joe DeVola in the bicycle helmet mm-hmm. was the first one I saw, and I was hooked from that. And then it was no more, no more home improvement. Now we're watching Seinfeld, and watched it until it went off the air. There was a shift in your household. Yes, wow, it was a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift of humor, and I was okay with that. I'm sure nothing against home improvement. It was what it was at the time, but very different. My parents definitely felt that like they got, they didn't even know. I don't think they knew about the show. And then when they saw it, they're like, oh, this is much more our speed. I wouldn't call it sophisticated, but I wouldn't not call it that either. It's just different. It's a, it's a different it type a new, of humor. New, t- new style of kind. Right. But yeah, there's, there's so many moments. Brought to us by an old Jewish guy. <laughs> I guess he wasn't that old. No. He's certainly blossomed into one. Both of them. Oh, yes. Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Larry David. Oh, yeah. They they fell into those roles perfectly, and that's good. We need that still. Mel Brooks isn't long for this world. No. Any day now. So that'll be a sad day, but we do need that humor. And it's very, you know, a lot of watched recently a documentary about Jewish humor because it is a thing. There are a lot of Jewish comedy writers and comedians. Oh, it's a thing. And... You know, comes from that. The you know comes from upbringing. I can only speak as a uh, Italian American Catholic. It's similar. We're like cousins in a uh, way. To you could just say you are. I don't think anybody would uh, have a hard you know, time believing it. That's true. Yeah, I have. I have the. I think I have um, that connection to it. Uh, but I, yeah, it's definitely a thing, and it, it it does come from an upbringing. There's areas of of guilt Mm -hmm. that are built into it of not thinking you're better than anyone else 
of neurosis. Uh, it's definitely a thing, and it's given us some of the best comedy that, even, I mean, going back to the Marx Brothers, Three Stooges. Yep. There's something there about, and I love that so much that for people who are have been oppressed across all nations for centuries can still find humor. Maybe that's why. Right. And I think, yeah, I think that is, is you got, that's our defense mechanism. That's a defense mechanism in right. human beings. And they found it and they perfected it. And I, and I love that. And Seinfeld and Larry David definitely tapped into that for their, for their comedy. Yes. Evolutionary psychologists take note. Another thing about Seinfeld, there is a superhero that is referenced in every episode of Seinfeld. Superman is either referenced directly or some kind of visual. Jerry's apartment, he has a refrigerator magnet of Superman. He's got a statue. There's entire conversations between Jer George and Jerry or other characters about Superman's sense of humor. Well, I, I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. I think that, but you either you're born with a sense of humor or you're not. It's not going to change. Even if you go from the red sun of Krypton all the way to the yellow sun of the Earth. <laughs> Why? Why would that one area of his mind not be affected by the yellow sun of the Earth? I don't know. But he ain't funny. Uh, there's an episode of the Bizarro Jerry, which is a direct reference to Superman. Um, and it just comes from that Seinfeld is a huge Superman fan. He grew up at that time of Superman comics and just fell in love with that character. And you can he he brings that into his stand up comedy and into the show all the time. Yeah, it's kind of cool being a old school DC guy myself. My uh, my first favorite superhero comic super book heroes were Superman and Green Lantern and Aquaman. Got into Batman a little later. Yeah, I, and I think you know, I was definitely because of the '78 Superman movie. Um, before all of the MCU and DC extended universe, way before all of that. Uh, it was Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve, who will always be my Superman. He'll always be my Superman, too. There's had been portrayed several times, just like Batman, but I think he that Christopher Reeve just encapsulated not only Superman, but Clark Kent as yeah. well. He changed his posture, the way he spoke, and it just, it felt, especially as a kid, felt so real. And I know Seinfeld... His frame of reference was more the George Reeves old television series, Superman. But, you know, they kind of blend into each other of what happened. Yeah, they changed. Uh, well, one big change was one was in color. So the red really pops. But at the same time, it didn't seem like George Reeves, was like close to 60 when he was playing Superman. Yeah, and he show. was like 1950s fit uh -huh. of just you could have like a gut. And still, like, as long as you had broad shoulders, you're like, you were in shape. As long as you still uh, punched guys who deserved it. Right. And he, you know, drank a beer and ate a hard boiled egg every day. Mm -hmm. Just want to go back to that time so I can be considered fit. It, it was, uh, you know, Superman, the movie that got me into comics and superheroes. It was, you know, the first two movies are great, just an insane cast and recently watched them with my kids they loved them i wasn't expecting them to because you need to revisit it well, especially cool. now with so many superhero movies out you would think they would think it was cheesy or old they loved it they sat and watched both of them and they thought they were great awesome well, um, gives me hope it does it's, i think it speaks a lot to just a good movie what yeah they wanted to make a good entertaining entertaining movie and i loved you know, again growing up it was what i knew from television or movies is what got me into actually looking at comic books so you know superman was a big part of that for me yeah and it would take a while i think but uh with the success of that franchise at least initially some of the later movies 
uh, weren't good and didn't do so well in the box office. But kind of set the stage for what we're seeing now of the just the the comic book movie golden age. Yeah, I mean, again, nineteen seventy eight. This was you know that was again I'm not talk about another gamble. Will enough people want to see this? And thanks to really good for the time special effects uh, that yeah. ended up you know bringing it over and the te- the cast you know Christopher Reeve yeah and he was fantastic Marco Kidder. Uh, I mean, Gene Hackman mm-hmm. at Beatty, but Hackman as Lex Luthor Hackman. was so funny. Some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. Such a great portrayal of Lex Luthor because he put a s- sarcastic twist on it in addition to being a megalomaniac. Right. He's an accessible villain. Your best villains are somebody that you can identify with. And I think that that villain was the first time you saw a villain not being uh, in the portrayals up until then. They were clearly the villain based on just their look or uh, their kind of one dimensional sinister. S- I'm going to yeah, roll the, the villain. Right. Yeah. And he's the first guy that's kind of like charming oh, yeah he's got he's has a charm to him right and i you know between he i know he was in first two he's in part four but we don't talk about we don't talk about that part four or part three for that matter they're weird yeah part there three is a richard Pryor comedy right what just happens to have superman in it with superman and four is a whole other mess of the studio wanting money and luring Christopher Reeve back as long as it had a message about nuclear weapons in it. Mm-hmm. And then it you end up with that. The nuclear quest for man. peace. And you know, whatever. It, f- it happened. Yeah, it happens. And it, it'll happen again. Um Oh, it'll continue to happen. Yeah. But yeah, the first two, which uh weren't they supposed to be one long movie? And then they, yeah. they kind of pulled a Peter Jackson. So, yeah, Richard Donner had originally made the longer movie that had the beginning with General Zod and the other Kryptonians, the bad Kryptonians, and they ended up coming back at the end of the first movie and that whole story that ended up being part two. But they ended up kind of splitting it up, and then when they did part two... Richard Donner wanted to continue that. He ended up being let go or creative differences, um, which is why there's a difference in the theatrical version of Superman 2 and the Richard Donner cut, mm-hmm. which are very different movies. Yes. I recently, again, rewatched the Richard Donner cut. I like it so much. Not that I didn't. Superman 2 might have been one of those rare sequel is as good as the original. A lot of that due to General Zod. Mm-hmm. And Terrence Stamp plays such a good yeah. villain. There's a classic villain where right. you see him and you know he's the villain. Right. He's got that steely look and he was just relentless. But yeah, there's a very big difference between those those two movies. Uh, they ended up reusing the flying around the earth to, mm-hmm. you know, throwing the whole world into chaos to save one person you love. But well, if it worked before. Right gonna work again why not try it again and i like that he's a little bit petty because he goes back to that trucker diner and beats that one guy up yeah just to show that uh he's still got it right i always liked that because it just superman's always been portrayed as more of a boy scout yeah but i like that he was like you know what fuck that guy yeah i'm gonna take time out and uh go pay him a visit you know, obviously, again, influential on so much of the movies we have today with superheroes. Uh, I don't, you know, we wouldn't have the 89 Batman right. without the success of Superman. And for good or for bad, you know, comic book movies were made, some great, some terrible. And, but, I, you know, that was the first one that really was a big hit yeah that said this medium can be turned into a movie and part of that you know we talked about the first two movies uh something i think a lot of people forget but the first two films the screenplays were written by mario puzo Mm -hmm. 
Uh, who a familiar name. Also wrote uh, the Godfather novels and screenplays for the movies. That was. Uh, it's not a very well known movie. I've heard of it. Again, I heard, I heard it's good. Being Italian American, I've never seen the Godfather. That's never been on every family holiday get together. That would be funny if you had never seen it. Wouldn't that be strange if mm-hmm. there was just like one huge movie that like classic that I've never like I don't know. I just don't want to see it. I don't like movies about Godfathers. I was thinking about that the other night. Uh, there's gotta be well for you maybe not. For me the biggest one I would say is Titanic. Okay. No. And that's pretty much because I know You know what's going on. I know you what's know going what on. Happens. Right. There's not a lot of surprises. There's no twists that I can really like, really? I didn't see that coming. An iceberg. Mm, it didn't um, sink. But I would say that's the biggest. You know, there's a lot I haven't seen, but that's yeah. as far as well-known, popular films, that's it. So being Italian and uh, experiencing The Godfather, does that have a special, more of a special meaning to you? I think with at least my family coming from part, well, my mother's side, partially coming from Sicily, there is a a connection there because my grandfather was born in America, but his father was born in Sicily. And there was that, especially in part two, where you see young Vito growing up, you know, there was still that. Like I heard stories from being passed down of what life was like in Sicily and what life was like coming to the United States and becoming United, you know, a citizen here and some of the difficulty it was being Italian at that time. I think always, I think there'll always be, if you are Italian American, I think there'll always be like a, yeah, we know what's going on mm-hmm. in those movies. Like a little like sense of pride. Like you don't fuck with those people. And I don't. And you shouldn't. For the record. You know, those are you know, the Godfather films and Goodfellas um, were discussed and on in the background at a lot of family get togethers and you know, you know, cable would run the Godfather movies, AMC. And I know they did someone put, they put it chronologically. So you get, and they took the parts of part two with young Vito first and that section, all of that up until part one and then all of part one into part two, you know, the rest of part two with Michael, which was awesome. I loved seeing it that way, but I remember all those, those movies always being on. And, you know, I had again, forgotten that Mario Puzo, in addition to writing those fantastic novels and screenplays, you know, had also done Superman, which also helped connect that bridge that brought Marlon Brando mm-hmm. to Superman of which you've likely never seen. Yeah, I love that he got top billing for a third of the amount of screen time. And as a two is where you get to see in the Richard Donner cut, you get to see the full Marlon Brando. Right. Because in the theatrical cut, his all his stuff was cut out and they had Superman's mother right. in. Um, so to see Jorel back again, um, that was a huge thing at the time. He was the most well-known actor, especially of the first two Godfather movies. Right. And that's why he was able to command such uh, compensation, such salary to be Superman that his parts ultimately had to be cut. Right. Because they couldn't afford to put him on screen uh, based on his contract. So I can't even imagine that. It's an interesting case of a writer demanding too much that ultimately led to them being nixed from the movie. That's just so amazing to me that that was even a thing that how do you and people put, I mean, but they, they wanted it. They knew that, well, Brando's in it. People were going to come see it, give him whatever he wants. Oh, and after you watch the Godfather, you'd likely agree. Right. But man, you know, there's not the first, again, first two Godfathers, three, I know has its detractors. And a lot of people say it's not as good as the first two, but that's like, what is you're yeah. taking two perfect films and comparing another one to it. Yeah, of course, it's not as good as oh, perfection. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't three perfect movies. Right. So, you know, three has it's not that cool. Has some scene, has some merit to it. You know, on the other Mario Puzo works, uh, Omerta 
and things like that are great, but those first two Godfather movies were just such a big part of our lexicon now. And and there's so many lines and parts of that movie that have become, that have gotten parodied and referenced and talked about and still discussed, you know, after what, over what, 40 years? 50. That's, that's what makes, right. That's what makes an excellent film. And he had such a good cast of not only Brando, but Pacino. He had Robert De Niro in part two. Yeah. Uh, James Caan. I can't remember his name. Oh, man. That's, I'm just going to take my nerd cred down a little bit. But oh, You lost three points. Right. Fredo. Oh, Cassavetes? Yeah. That actor was only in five movies, and I think they were all nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, that... Uh... The directions of uh, Coppola kind of ushered in or helped with some other American directors usher in a, a new American cinema, which for oh, my yeah. money is one of the best runs. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was Coppola and Brian uh, De Palma, De Palma and uh, George Lucas, Altman, yeah, uh, Spielberg. Uh, they were all part of that that crew and uh, yeah Malik. i mean all these guys were coming up all at that time must have been such an exciting time the uh, the 70s um not i don't think it was this episode but the past couple weeks ago an episode of uh the lost simple two of the characters argue about which decade had the best movies the 70s or the 80s well that's an argument that uh would take to the end of time right so especially just not about, even get into it right uh which i thought was funny because the 70s was the start of so much of things we still know today that became so huge that were an influence on what's happening right now in the 80s you know our decade that we grew up in there were so many fun popcorn flicks that were such a big part of you know coming of age and growing up that just depends on what side of the coin coin you can we've talked about that yeah before what makes a great film is the godfather a great film yes yes is the goonies a great film yes yeah is one like you gonna are you talking a godfather goonie mashup well i didn't want to say anything but let's just say the fratellis have Uh, connections done a little bit uh to piss off the corleone family and only the goonies can do something with treasure i don't know i haven't worked it all out yet it's almost there but yeah i i you know again just absolutely a all around if you've never seen the godfather just stop this right now and go watch the fucking godfather movies you don't even think to call me godfather instead you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me for the murder money she ask you for just that is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. Let him suffer then. She suffers. How much shall I pay? A lot of people, uh, understandably, uh, there's a large contingent of people that uh, claim they don't like long movies. Anything yeah. three hours or longer. Right. Um, they just don't care to sit through that. So I could see how it becomes daunting for some people. Um, I like long movies, but I get that some people don't. So it, I, I, it's almost like somebody telling you to read Moby Dick. Like we all agree Moby Dick's a great book, but at this point it's a, it's a big book. And if you haven't got around to it, you're probably not going to. But you can always stop it or pause it. You can take a break. You might an hour and a half in. Just to kind of like, you know, use the restroom, do something else, come back to it. Refresh. You know, you owe it. Anyone owes it to themselves to to watch it. You know, all three, but particularly the first two Godfather movies, which, you know, as we're learning, only a couple little links between them. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. And Meatloaf was never in The Godfather. No. It was one of his dreams, but... uh... He never got to live it. That's, uh, that's why I love these talks. That's why I like doing the show. It's just just a couple little things that connect everything together and exploring our connections. Um, I think next week we want to discuss uh, Clue. 
the film and or board game and naked lunch sounds fun two very different things but there's just a couple links between them do you think uh the godfather would like meatloaf i don't know about maybe michael maybe which what are we talking about Vito? I don't think he would. Vito would have time, much time for no, for that. I don't think he'd care for it. Michael, mm, depending on his mood, right? Might might get into it, but that might be a, like a younger generation thing. Yeah. Well, down the road, we'll have to ask him. We'll find out. Uh, as always, if you uh, like the show, don't like the show, are blasé about the show, uh, reach out to us. Uh, we're at the PCCcast at gmail.com. That's the PCCcast at gmail.com. The PCCcast on Twitter. And then you can find us on Instagram under the Pop Culture Connection. And we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Rate, review, let us know. Just uh, shoot us a note. Tell us how we're doing. Ask a question. Give us a a challenge that we can do to connect to items. We'd love to do a challenge episode. Uh, but until next time, stay connected. <laughs>